uh, the Gospel of Luke. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you and, and sing and praises to you and come and hear the word. We ask you to bless this time in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1. Starting at verse 5, we're going to be looking at the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah, and of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was bearing, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before the God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And a whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go before this in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am old, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto you and to show you these great tidings. And behold, you shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because you believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out and could not speak unto them, they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as his ministration ministrations were accomplished, he departed to his own house, and thereafter, and thereafter those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dwelt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my reproach from among men. So a lot of going on in this story of Elizabeth and Zacharias. Uh, it says that this happened in the days of Herod. We, Herod died in 1 BC. Uh, so we know that this happened sometime before that. And in case you didn't know, we've talked about this in the, in the, in the past. Jesus was born sometime in the period of 1 BC to 3 BC which is kind of interesting, he was born before Christ. <laughs> uh, but that was because of a miscalculation in the, in the Julian calendar. So we're looking at this somewhere in that period of time, John the Baptist is going to be born. He's six months older than Jesus. And uh, so we see here, 
introduction to Zacharias the priest of the course of Abiai. Now, most of you probably have no clue what the course of Abiai means, but in Second uh, Chronicles, uh, chapter 24, priest being, being around that David decided to break the priests up into 24 groups and each one of those groups would would participate for one week at a time then they would go home for 24 weeks and come back and perform another 24 they worked two day, two weeks a year as a priest now they did plenty around their homes because they were there would be things that they would do other than that but they went to the temple twice a year because there were so many of them now, in this time, in Jesus' day, Josephus tells us that there were about 20,000 priests broken up into 24 groups, which meant that each day there were about 50-some priests that were waiting for their turn to do something in the temple. All right? Now, we're going to give you some Jewish lessons here. Once a year, the high priest on, on the Day of Atonement would have the sacrifice. He would get to go into the Holy of Holies and present the blood of the, of the atonement sacrifice on the mercy seat. It was a very big job, a very important job. It was a terrifying job for the high priest in one sense because they had to go into what might be the very presence of God. We're told that they would tie a rope to, the, to their leg and there were bells, along, bells that would ring on it and they kept moving the whole time they were in the holy place. And if the bells stopped ringing, they assumed that God killed him, that he wasn't, that he wasn't pure enough. Now, I have not been able to verify this, but I've heard multiple pastors say that that happened eight times. That's not too bad in thousands of years, but... Uh, but I, I've never been able to verify and I, I don't know where they find, but I've heard several that say that. Uh, but that made a terrifying idea that when you went into the Holy of Holies, God might be there. And if you forgot any to repent from any sin, they were worried that they were going to be struck dead. This is not where Zacharias is going. Zacharias is turned to go into the holy place. In the holy place was a table of showbread, the uh, menorah light, and the uh, altar of incense. Every morning, they would go in and place more oil on, on the incense altar. They'd place oil in the menorah. This is the job that Zacharias has had finally getting a turn. With, with uh, so many people, you, you might have one time in your entire lifetime to be able to go into the holy place. This was a big deal. Right? Uh, like I said, you break 20,000 people down into one week, you've got several hundred still and each day there would be 50 people hoping to have that opportunity to go into the holy place. And this was something he walks into the holy place to put incense oil on there. And he sees an angel. Yeah. You've got to put yourself in this place. The only light in this place is the menorah, which is pretty, pretty good. It's seven, seven branches on it. So it puts out a lot of light. But he walks in and there's somebody in the holy place. <laughs> He's terrified. Very interesting, when we look in the Bible, the people who see angels usually are terrified. And the first words are just what Gabriel said, fear not. It's kind of interesting because every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they give them a good 
message and they always feel like they're going to die. I have a great job for you to do. Oh, go, don't kill me. Why would I give you a job if you're going to die? But, you know, that is their attitude in each case. Now I'm going to die. You know, and so we see this whole issue going up. But, you know, we look at this. Abraham saw an angel. Uh, Jacob sees an angel. Jacob fights with the angel and ends up having his hip put out of place for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, we have Daniel seeing an angel. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego seeing you know, Jesus, the angel of the Lord. Uh, we see Joshua seeing an, seeing an angel. We, you know, we've got all these different people who see angels. Zacharias is seeing an angel, probably the worst place you would want to see an angel. Because it's like, I'm in the holy place, I'm in God's presence, and here's an angel. And his first thought's going to be, what did I do wrong? <laughs> what did I do wrong? But the good news is God's testimony of them, that they were upright and righteous. They were keeping the commandments. They weren't doing the commandments for show. They just had one problem in their life. Elizabeth hadn't had any kids. And I like the way they said they were old. They were well-stricken in years. <laughs> All right. Well-stricken in years. And, and even when he talks to the angel, he's still very careful. He goes, you know, remember when we saw that, he goes to Gabriel, uh, I'm old. She's just well-stricken in years. <laughs> you know, he's still being correctly saying the word to the, to the angel. Um, but, you know, we see here, he gets the honor to go in and put the incense before the holy place. And if you don't know what the incense, the incense represented the prayers of the saints going up to God, and they kept putting them in there. Morning and evening, every day, this was done. Morning and evening, the people would come to the temple and offer sacrifices and do their worship every morning, every night. And this particular case, Zacharias goes into the temple, the holy place, to put oil in the incense burner, you know, oil in the menorah. Once, once a week they would put the showbread out. In, in a, they had a loaf of bread for each of the people presenting Israel to God in the holy place. And so he gets in there, he sees this angel, and it says the multitude of people were outside waiting and praying. This was part of their worship. Priest went in, put a little bit of oil all the places he was supposed to do and came right back out. It wasn't supposed to take very long. And there was a delay. Now, how do you feel when there's a delay about anything? Makes you a little nervous, especially if something is done the same way all the time. This was a worship thing that happened. They went in, he would be right back out. It wouldn't be a big deal. It was, he was in and out. It didn't take a long time. And all of a sudden... They're out there praying. They're out there singing a song, whatever it is, whatever their worship is. And Zacharias is still in the holy place. They get done with their prayer. They get done with the reading, the, the song, whatever it is. And Zacharias is still in the holy place. And everybody's like, what, what do we do? The priests are probably standing around. Uh, do we go in? Do we go in to you know, see what's going on? But this was a job that one person would go in to do and one person would come out. It wasn't as bad as the holy place. They weren't totally restricted, but there's still this respect. This was a day when you did not go into the presence of God lightly. One of the things we as Christians in our day and age, we take God awfully light sometimes. 
you know, we, we have people that talk about God as if he's his best buddy. You know, God and I, we're, 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 we're best buds. We're, we're BFFs. <laughs> you know, and I understand where they are because God says that we're his children. We have the right to come before his presence. But we need to keep the holiness of God in mind as well. God is holy. He is righteous. He expects us <laughs> to be holy and righteous in our walk. You know, so we don't want to get, ever get to the place where we're just so loose that we're you know, talking very lightly about him. Yes, we have a great opportunity. We get to go into the presence of God with great ease because of the sacrifice of Jesus. But that sacrifice cost God a lot, cost him everything for us to be able to do that. When Jesus died, the curtain veil between the holy and the holy of holies was torn. God tore it so that people could go into his presence. But again, we cannot go into his presence with a loose, flippant attitude. You know, and we need to be careful. Is God wanting us to be serious all the time? No, God is a God of humor. He's a God of, God of entertainment. But don't get so far off into that looseness and everything that you start getting into silliness and irrelevant things. You can be joyful. You can be happy in God's presence. You can even, you know, I think God loves jokes. You know, he built things like the platypus. You know, we got a mammal that... Uh, lays eggs like a bird and has claws and poison sacks and you know uh, doesn't look like anything out there I think God has a great sense of humor you know he likes to put us in places where he says are you going to trust me when it makes no sense so we we want to understand there's a place for humor but do not get irrelevant irreverent with your humor but Zachariah sees this angel and the angel tells him your prayer has been heard you're going to have a child matter of fact not only are you going to have a child you are going to have a son this was a big deal to any Jewish woman in that day and age to have a son to carry on the family name to have a son to give birth because everybody around them were looking at this older couple and saying what's what kind of sinners are you that you don't have kids this is how they looked at it. You did not have a child. When you were married, you were, something was wrong with you. Elizabeth and Zachariah have been faced with this. They're walking with God. God says they're, they're doing a good job. They're, being, they're blameless before him. But the world's judging them as if they had done something wrong. And, you know, he says, and then he also tells him that this son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to walk in the power of Elijah. Elijah is one of the great prophets of Israel. The Jews still to this day have two great prophets, Moses and Elijah. He is one of the top. He called down fire on Mount Carmel. He called down for no rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years in the, in the, in the nation of Samaria. He resurrected people. He provided food for the widow for three and a half years. He had great miracles, and he was taken to heaven without dying. <laughs> so he's, he's got this great picture. Moses, it tells us that he died, but God buried Moses, so they don't even know where Moses is. So we have two great leaders in this one. He says, 
he is going to walk in the power of Elijah. Now that doesn't mean as much to us, but we also have the verses that the, the person in the spirit of Elijah would come back before Christ and announce that the Messiah was coming. So what has Zacharias heard? My son is going to be the forerunner of Jesus, of the Messiah. This is quite a big deal. This is a great message that he's been given. And he goes on to say that he shall be great. He shall, he shall turn many to God. You're to make sure that he doesn't drink strong drink or wine. Uh, so he was not to consume alcohol. He was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. He was set aside by God. Now you want to talk about predestination. This is a predestined uh, person. Did he have to be obedient necessarily? No, but God said, this is somebody that I have picked to do all these things. He has done nothing yet. Matter of fact, you haven't even conceived him yet, but he's going to be great. God's foreknowledge, God's plan for us is very strong. When he says something's going to happen, it is going to happen. And we have, and as we go into this, that Zacharias said, well, how shall I know that this is going to be true? old my wife is well stricken in years how do we know that this is going to be true now i find his comment strange for a couple of reasons the gabriel told them this is the answer to your prayers it sounds like elizabeth was believing that she was going to have a baby and zacharias was just saying well i'll i'll agree with you that you're going to we're going to have a baby but i really don't believe it's going to happen we need to be very careful when we pray. Are we really asking for God and believing that God is going to answer prayers? Now, we're, we're told that we can ask anything in his name and he will answer us. Now, the question is, what does it mean to pray in his name, in his authority, in his reputation? You know, and we've talked about this. If I go, God, I, I really, really need a, a Viper. I don't know why I would need a Viper, but God, I really need a Viper. I, I, I want to drive at 200 miles an hour on all the roads and, and outrun the police. And God's going to say, well, that's not in my name. You know, there is no reason that he says in my name that I'm going to grant that. Now, he could in his, in his great, great mercy, and, and, but he's probably not. But just because I say in the name of Jesus does not mean that I'm praying in his name. I'm praying for somebody to be healed. God, that is something he might do. God, we need, we need something for the church. We need, a, we need a big van so we can transfer people to the church in Jesus' name. And we might, get, we might get that. Because there's a good reason for it. We can transport people. We can do a ministry with that. God, we need this. You know, If it's something that is in his name and in his reputation, God says, okay, that. That is what I'm going to answer. But if I want to consume it upon my own lust and my own desires, he's going to say, no, that's not, that is not what you're going to do. Zacharias asks, how, how do I know that this is going to be true? He's met an angel in the holy place. <laughs> he's been afraid that he was going to be struck dead just seeing the angel. He was in great fear. He was told not to fear. He was been given a message by an angel. And he goes, well, how do I know that you're... Yeah. What was he saying? How do I know that you're an angel of God and not a demon standing here in the holy place? This is Gabriel's ad, you know, answer. 
I am Gabriel. I stand before God. And I gave you this message. Gabriel appears to be the angel who brings messages to people. And then he says, because of your doubt, you are not going to be able to speak until, his, until he's born. Now we can think about this uh, in, just an, in just the other half of this chapter, we're going to read Gabriel talking to another person. This time he's talking to a young girl, somewhere in 12, 14 years old, Mary, telling her she is going to give birth to the Messiah. She asks the same question. Yeah, how can this be? How can this happen? I have, not, I have not known a man. She did not get struck dumb. Big difference here is two really big differences. Zacharias is a trained priest who should be believing that his prayer was going to be answered and should not have been doubting. His life was about serving God. And God says, okay, you don't trust me when you've been praying? You've been asking for this. You've been walking with me for however, however long well-stricken <laughs> well is. And he said, fine, you don't get to talk. Mary, young teenager, not been praying. She's not praying for a child yet. She might be praying, God, I want to have a nice wedding day coming up real soon because she was a spouse to Joseph. At this point in time, she might be dreaming of a child, but she's not praying for a child yet. She has not had decades of walking with God to learn to trust him. And when she says, God, how can this be? God says, just believe. Just believe. Which, what does that mean for us as Christians? If you're a new Christian and you have lots of questions about God, God is going to be so patient with you and say, fine, you, you don't know a lot. I'm going to show you. You've been walking with God for several decades and you've learned how faithful he is. You've learned his word. You know where you stand with him. You know, and you say, God, I just don't know about you, what you've said. You may just find yourself in Zachariah's place where you're going to say, you're going to go, God's going to say, fine, you don't want to believe me? Now suffer until it happens. Suffer until it happens. Why? Because God wants us walking in faith. And the more we walk in faith with him, the better our faith gets and the stronger it grows. The more we get into his word is... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We get to know his faithfulness. We get, to know, we get to experience his faithfulness. And then God says, I said it. You should have just believed it. When we're first walking with him and we're trying to get out of the world in the first place and we're struggling with how faithful God is, God says, we're going to be a little more patient with you. And aren't we the same way with our children? Hopefully we don't expect our two and three-year-old to act like a teenager. If you do, you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> they haven't learned. They haven't become disciplined. They haven't learned to be obedient. They haven't learned the consequence of disobedience. Now, unfortunately, nowadays, many of our teenagers haven't either. But we would still have higher expectations of the teenager than we would the child. God has no lesson with us as our parent to say, you're just starting on the road. I'm going to be patient with you. You've been walking down the road. You, sh you, you, should, you should be stepping out in faith. You should be following me in, in a heartbeat. Zacharias struck speechless, dumb, speechless. And he finally comes out of the temple. 
And the people know that something has been going on and they're, they're wondering what has happened to this, this priest going in. And it says that he came, that, um, and the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out and could not speak to them, they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. So he's come out and he can't speak. What was that part of that? He was supposed to produce a blessing when he walked out. Another, another priest was going to have to come and, and give the blessing that he was supposed to give. Think about it. He waited all of his life, probably the only time in his entire career as a priest that he got to go into the holy place and he came out and could not even speak the blessing that came, that came with it. He's well stricken in his years. He's not going to get another chance, most likely, to go back in to the holy place in his, in his lifetime. And all of his hopes and dreams have been blown out of the water of being a good priest. Now, he's going to be a father, but he did not get to perform the job that he had gone in hoping to be able to do. And he's waving to people. He's trying to find a tablet or something to write on to tell them what has happened because he cannot speak to them. And it says, as soon as he finished his week, he went home. <laughs> and Elizabeth gets pregnant. And I've always found this interesting. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but she conceived and it says she hid herself for five months. Now there's two different opinions that people have about why she hid herself. Some people were say, saying, well, she was worshiping God for five months and didn't and didn't want to leave home. I don't think that's the answer. I think that she was staying in that house for five months to make sure that she did not miscarry. Because that would have been even worse to her to say, I've got a baby. God said we're going to have a baby. And then to lose the baby would have been a big deal to her. I think she stayed because five months is really, after five months, you generally don't miscarry the baby. And they knew this stuff. It's not new. You know, the, the time of miscarrying is not new to us. Yes, we do have miscarriages after, but the large percentage of them are before five months. I personally think that she stayed home and hid so that nobody would know that she was pregnant necessarily until she knew that this child was going to go to full term. It is possible she'd had miscarriages, so she didn't want to take that chance. She's known other women that had miscarriages. She was not going to take the chance. And this is what I believe. It's worth not anything, but... Uh, but I really do believe she was hiding until she goes, okay, God, it's been five months. I can let people know that I've got, that you're, that you're true. Again, she had a little more doubt as well, but, you know, she has a little more, she didn't see the angel. All she has is her husband writing down on a tablet, angel said we're going to have a child. Uh, you know, if he even went that far. You know, he might have been too ashamed to even admit what he saw, what he heard. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But we see that she hides, and then she proclaims, I have a child, or I am going to have a child. Now, and this is, a, like I said, we in our day don't really fully understand this. It wasn't so long ago that women just needed to have their children because that was the goal of so many girls, was to be a mother. Be a mother and a wife. That has changed over the years, over the last few decades. But it wasn't so long ago the goal was to be a mother and a wife. This was where Elizabeth is. And for the Jewish girls, 
especially of the tribe of Judah, they were always hoping that they would have a son that was going to be the Messiah. That was their great goal. You know, maybe, you know, every girl from Judah hoped that she would be the one that would give birth to the Messiah. Elizabeth wouldn't have been looking for the Messiah. She's not in the right tribe. She is of the tribe of Aaron. You know, and Zacharias is from the tribe of Aaron. So they cannot have any hope that they're giving birth to the Messiah. But Zacharias was said, you have the forerunner. He's going to go and announce the Messiah. This is an exciting point for him. This means that in John's lifetime, Messiah's coming. It dated the whole process for them. Because now we've got the forerunner. The angel told me we have the forerunner. This Messiah is going to be here. Possibly even in Zacharias and, and Elizabeth's time, probably not, depending on, on how old well-stricken meant. <laughs> but because they're, Paul, they're not going to start his ministry until he's around 30, just as Jesus started his ministry at age 30. And we see this whole process going on, that the time clock has been started. Messiah is coming. We are in our day and age looking at the second coming of Jesus. And we can look at signs. The time clock is running. I don't know how close the time clock is, but the time clock is running. Israel has become a nation. We're having the world looking and clamoring for a one-world government. People are doing what's right in their own eyes. Every sign that we're told to look for is on, on the horizon. We have a short period of time, and even if it's not in our lifetime, it's still short. Jesus is coming back soon. All the pieces are in play. The forerunner of Christ has been announced. And there are five months. In those couple verses, we covered five months. <laughs> and they're going to announce their birth. When she announces it, this is a happy day for her. I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have my baby finally. All you, you know, she could have really gotten nasty. All you ladies out there wagging your tongues about how bad we must be, you're, you're you know, I'm having, my, I'm having my baby. I don't think that was her, that she said she was righteous and, and, and honor. She probably was very merciful to them. But you know she was feeling good. I get to have a baby. And even better, he is going to be a great, he's going to be a son and he's going to be great. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a powerful message that was given to her. She is going to be the dream of every mother, have a son and have him be famous. Now her famous son is also going to be beheaded uh, early in his life. But she has great hope and, and knowledge that this is somebody that God says is going to go forward. We need to be able to take our time. And when God says something to us, believe it. Step out in what he says. We sang the song, Remind Me Who I Am. And that's a very powerful song because we forget so often that we're God's children. That God loves us and wants to provide for us. As long as we are faithful to him, he promises us great things. Now, he promises to meet all our needs. Now, many of us as Christians live in a life that God just meets our needs because we don't serve him the way we're supposed to. We don't give to him the way we're supposed to. 
in finances and life and everything about it. And he says, okay, fine, I'm just going to meet your needs. But he's out there waiting, saying, I want to bless you. I want to pour down the riches of heaven. Do you realize when you're God's child how much riches God has? And if somehow he runs out of riches, he'll just create more for you. Now, and he's not going to run out of what he's already created, but he could create more, you know, and we would never know that he ran out anyway. So he wants to pour out blessings on his children. Who limits him? Us. With our unbelief, our undesire to call on him for help. We need to step forward and lift God up and serve him with great faith. And I'm just as guilty as everybody else when it comes to walking by faith at times. Because it's scary to walk by faith. When God says, I want you to walk out of that boat in the middle of the storm and walk on the water, Peter. You know, the amazing thing is Peter did it. Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. Now, he looked around at the storm and saw and heard the storm and, fell, and he started sinking. Why? Because he stopped walking by faith and started walking by sight. As soon as he saw the storm, all the reality of what he was doing came to him. I'm walking on the water in the middle of the storm. Hold it. I can't, you know, I shouldn't be in the middle of a storm in the first place. Hold it. I can't even walk on water. What am I out here for? And by sight, he started sinking. What can God do with somebody who will walk purely by faith? Moody said, the world's never seen, the first, seen what God can do with somebody of that nature. If we could just walk by faith in all that we do. Might be Enoch. You might get to go home early. After about a third of your life, go home and spend the rest of your life with God. What can happen if we walk by faith? God will bless abundantly. And not only abundantly, super abundantly. That's his promise. When we will step out and serve him, he will do great things for us. Why? So that his name is exalted. And that is the whole purpose of doing things in his name is so that he gets exalted. He gets the glory. And people get saved and people come about. We're praying for a revival. Are you truly expecting that God is going to change these people's lives? I hope so. I hope so. Otherwise, you're just praying to the ceiling. You know, just praying to the ceiling, God, do these things. Uh, I hope you're up there somewhere, God, on the ceiling because it's not going any further. God wants to bless us. He wants to provide for us as long as we're using it for him. And we've got people all through the world with testimonies and biographies saying how God blesses them and their prayers. I love George Mueller, and you all know I talk about him a lot, but he is an amazing man. He was spending 10,000 pounds a month in the 1800s to take care of missionaries and the, and the orphans. That would be equivalent to millions of dollars a month in our, in our money. He had over a thousand orphans that he took care of. He had hundreds of missionaries that he took care of. And God trusted him because he stepped out in faith and said, I am going to give. This is something that people ask all the time. Well, how much should I give to God? A sacrifice. Many people go, well, 
All right, I've paid all my bills. This is how much I have left. God, you can have it. That's not a sacrifice. Uh, you know, one of the things I heard from so many people is how much should you give God? Until it hurts. Until it is God saying, God, I've got this much money. I'm handing it to you. Now it's your turn to, to give back. I have been there many times where I've given my amount of money and saying, God, uh, I can't pay the rest of the bills for the month, but this is what you and I have agreed to give, so here it is. And he meets the needs. He will meet your needs when you are out there reaching out for him. God is an amazing God who loves us and cares about us. He has the riches of all the world, all the universe at his disposal, and he created it all in the first place so he can give it in more. You know, we'll never out need, you know, need more than God can provide. Even if we think we need millions of dollars every month to survive, God will say, fine, I've got that much for you. I can provide it. My question for us as a church is, are we ready to serve God by faith and sacrifice? Are we really ready to step out and say, God, you want this done, I will be the person to step out and do it. Doesn't even have to be money. It can be your actions, giving up your time, giving up your efforts, and saying, God, I want to serve you in this way. And what is our sacrifice? Where are we at? It is so easy sometimes to be blessed and just sit back and in God's prosperity and blessing and say, okay, God, I'm going to give you, you know, yeah, God, you're, you're giving me, so I'm going to give you a portion back. It really isn't hurting, but here, here's your portion back. God, you said you want a tithe. I'm giving you a tithe. It's, it's out of my abundance. I still have lots of money left over, so you can have my tithe. And God says, okay, where's your sacrifice? Where's your sacrifice? God made provisions in the sacrificial system. If you were poor, you could give a dove. It was pretty easy to go out and, and snare a dove. You just throw a net over it, and you can give the dove, and that was all you could afford. That's what you gave. But he said, if you've got the money and the, and the effort, you're to give me a sheep, you're to give me an oxen, you're to give, give me a bullock. He says, you're going to give me a sacrifice. A sacrifice. Now, for some people, it would take 10 or 12 sheep to be a sacrifice, and God says, I want a sacrifice. You know what a sacrifice is for you. When we give to God, it should be something that says, God, I am now dependent on you to help me out. And this is very important for us. So that's my challenge for us, is are we ready to live by sacrifice? Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to go before us and serve, teach us to serve, teach us to sacrifice. Lord, we ask you to be our guide, our leader, and let us learn to trust you more and more with every passing day. And we just thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believer's packet. You can contact us at 
office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.